Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the scriptures with us as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us again for another session of scripture searching together. We've been discussing the issue of the definition of the Christian gospel and making a very simple point that in Acts chapter 20, verses 24 and 25, we have a very simple and clear equation of the gospel of the grace of God with the preaching of the kingdom. In other words, the gospel of the kingdom is exactly the same in the mind of Paul as his own preaching of the gospel of the grace of God. There's absolutely no difference between those two gospels. They're not two forms of the gospel or even one gospel and a second gospel. This attempt to try to divide the gospel into two different forms, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles, risks separating Paul from Jesus. And Paul would have been most unhappy with the idea that he was introducing in some way a different gospel than the gospel which had been preached by his master, the Messiah. Paul himself said that he received the gospel by tradition. It had been handed down to him from the other apostles. Now, certainly Paul had also received a special visitation from the risen Christ, but in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3, Paul says that the content of the gospel in regard to the resurrection and the death of Jesus was something that had been handed down to him, and he passed that information on as the saving message. He then urged the Corinthians to stand fast in the facts of the gospel as he presented them there. In that particular passage, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3, Paul mentioned the resurrection of Jesus. He mentioned the death of Jesus as facts of first importance in the gospel. Or to be even more precise, he said that they were among things of first importance. You'll find that key phrase, en protis, among things of first importance, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Now, that little phrase, among things of first importance, is essential if we are not to stumble here at Paul's definition of the gospel. Paul, I want to make it absolutely clear, did not say that the death and resurrection of Jesus were the whole of the gospel. He said that the facts about Jesus' death and his subsequent resurrection were matters of cardinal importance in the gospel, but they were not the whole gospel. Now, in fact, Paul assumed that the gospel of the kingdom was understood because in the very same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, he speaks of the fact that flesh and blood, that's to say human beings as presently constituted, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God there is the kingdom of the future to be inherited at the second coming of Jesus. So the kingdom of God is not in dispute in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, when we study the issue of the gospel, it makes much better sense to go back to those passages which describe the original transmission of the gospel from the preacher to the convert. In the epistles of Paul, it's assumed by Paul and his readers that the gospel is well defined. Paul had already founded those churches. He taught them the gospel at first hand. The letters of Paul, you see, are second-level communication documents. They describe what Paul had to say to churches who already knew the basis of the faith. 
Now, Paul in his letters reminded them of the principal facts of salvation, but he dealt with those issues which were particularly under attack or in need of clarification. When we go to the book of Acts, we find Paul himself describing the content of his own gospel. In Acts 20, verse 25, Paul remarks there to the Ephesian elders that he had been going about proclaiming the kingdom, heralding the kingdom. Now, that's exactly what Jesus did, according to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. In that verse, in the early part of Mark, we find a comprehensive statement of the whole ministry of Jesus summed up in a wonderful encapsulation of the Christian faith and the Christian gospel. We read there that Jesus came preaching the gospel about the kingdom of God. Or in other Greek versions, it reads that he was preaching the gospel of God. And by this, Jesus went on to say that the time was fulfilled, the kingdom of God was at hand, and that people were to repent and to believe in the gospel. You see, Jesus called for a wholehearted commitment to his message at the outset of his ministry. It was not so much to himself, although that was included, but it was to the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that he must be defined clearly by his message. The tendency of so much preaching is to separate Jesus from his message. So much so is that true in some circles that I've even heard it said that the teaching of Jesus is not really important for Christians. What is really important is his death and his resurrection. That is to make a considerable theological mistake. It remains an absolute fact that our gospel records of Jesus' teaching emphasize constantly and repeatedly in verse after verse that Jesus' message is all important. It is the message about the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the saving gospel indeed about the kingdom of God that we are to cling to. It is by clinging to the message and gospel of Jesus that we cling to Jesus himself. Jesus is defined by his message. The way we approach Jesus is through the word of his gospel of the kingdom. We find Jesus saying that very thing in a fascinating verse in the middle of the parable of the soils or the sower. In Matthew 13 verse 19, Jesus said, when anybody hears the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the devil is there to snatch away what has been sown in his heart. And Luke's version adds this extra piece of brilliant information that the devil is there to snatch away the message of the kingdom sown in the heart of the potential convert so that he may not believe it and be saved. Now I put it to you that that text makes an intelligent understanding reception of the gospel about the kingdom a prerequisite for successful Christianity. Jesus clearly there says, that an intelligent reception of the gospel of the kingdom is the first step in true discipleship. Jesus must not be separated from his gospel. And yet there are theories and systems of theology which are widely propagandized in America which actually systematically separate Jesus from his message. I'm referring here to a theory called dispensationalism which adds notes to the Bible to the effect that the gospel of the kingdom is not now the saving gospel for the Christians. The theory goes like this, that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews 
but that after his death and resurrection, perhaps at the stoning of Stephen, or even as late as the end of the book of Acts, a different gospel was taken to the Gentiles. Now that theory simply will not stand a moment's investigation. If anything is clear in our New Testament records, it is that there's one gospel and one gospel only. The kingdom gospel is preached not only from the beginning to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, it's preached from the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, and it's still being preached in the latest and last letters of Paul. And of course it's preached again in the book of Revelation. Thankfully, there is a very simple fact to be grasped here, and that is that there's one gospel, one message for salvation, and it's the message which originated in the gospel preaching of Jesus himself. It's the gospel about the kingdom. In the final chapter of the book of Acts, we take leave of Paul, and we have a picture there of him doing what he customarily did in all of his preaching. We find in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, that Paul welcomed the people who came to see him, and he was preaching and witnessing to the gospel of the kingdom and teaching the things about the Lord Jesus Christ unhindered for two years in Rome. That was Luke's way of telling us that the kingdom gospel is not for one second diminished in the ministry of Paul to the Gentiles. And yet we hear today the amazing theory that there are two forms of the gospel, the kingdom gospel preached to the Jews by Jesus, which then became obsolete during the period of preaching to the Gentiles, but will be resumed, so the theory goes, during the time of the Great Tribulation in the future. And so under this theory, which you will find documented in the Schofield Bible notes, the kingdom gospel was in the past preached by Jesus and will be in the future preached by Jews during the Great Tribulation. But according to the notes in Revelation chapter 14 in the Schofield Bible, we're told that the gospel of the kingdom is not to be preached now. The gospel to be preached now for salvation is not to do with the kingdom, but to do with the grace of God. That theory founders on the very simple fact that there's no difference at all between the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. That fact is established clearly by Acts chapter 20, verses 24 and 25, where the great late F.F. F. Bruce makes the remark that the kingdom gospel as preached by Paul is identical with the gospel of the grace of God, also preached by Paul. And so we want to propose then that this extraordinary theory of two forms of the gospel should die the death of doubtful and problematic theological theory. It's made Bible reading difficult for people, it's created fragmentation in the text of the New Testament, and it tends to divide Paul against Jesus, a thing with which Paul would have been most unhappy. We invite our listeners to consider carefully this issue of the gospel, the most important question we can possibly ask of the Bible, because we want to know what it is we are supposed to believe and trust and commit ourselves to in order to enter on the path which leads to immortality in the future kingdom of God. I've written a book on this issue of the kingdom entitled The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. I'd like to send you a copy of that book for your own personal study at home. Please request your free copy by telephoning us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. 
We're convinced that the New Testament becomes much more comprehensible when we unite it around the single concept, the single gospel preached by Jesus and all of the apostles, namely the gospel of the kingdom. We remind you that Jesus himself revealed the purpose of Christianity in a brilliant statement in Luke 4, verse 43. He said, I came to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's the reason for which I was sent. We submit that if that's the reason for which Jesus was sent, then it must be the reason for the existence of the Christian church. The church, you know, is commissioned by Jesus in Matthew, the 28th chapter, to go into all the world and to make disciples and teach them everything that I taught you. It's an obvious fact that Jesus began teaching the apostles the kingdom gospel. Jesus opened his ministry by stating that the kingdom was the object of all belief. Now that, of course, does not exclude for one moment that we are to believe in Jesus as our Savior, as the one who died for our sins and who rose from the dead. But we must go on to accept equally and even primarily the kingdom of God message. Repentance in the New Testament is predicated upon a wholehearted acceptance of that gospel message of the kingdom as Jesus preached it. Listen to the words of Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus said, Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and orientate yourself towards a new horizon, namely the horizon of the kingdom of God. We invite you to follow our ongoing discussion of this basic question of the gospel as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.